Welcome to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. In today's episode, we're joined by DJ and cultural critic Aloysio Wilmeth, better known as He Valencia. We discuss being ex-woke on Instagram, the rise of racial essentialism, and the need for a materialist politics on the left. We talk about why solidarity is better than allyship, the importance of humor, and how we need socialism so that everyone can get some damn therapy. So yeah, we're here with Aloiso. Um, do you want to introduce yourself quickly to our uh, listeners? Tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So my name is Aloiso Wilmoth, um, also known as He Valencia. Specifically, I'm a techno DJ slash producer. And I guess within that realm, I just kind of like outside of music, just kind of just criticize culture and or just think about culture in a broader ways and try to kind of like circle that back into what I do musically. Because like I realized that, I mean, even though we're kind of positioned to market ourselves as these kind of artists, there's really isn't a lot of gray area for kind of like these really um, just... I guess not necessarily like hotly criticized, but just like having like real forms of valid criticism that doesn't kind of have to kowtow to what people think is properly or like PC or marketable. Yeah, so that's essentially my, the medium I kind of work in besides music. Yeah, you're becoming like a little bit uh, Instagram famous um, for your hilarious and spicy political takes. So that's how I found out about you. Um, and actually, like, it's so refreshing seeing your work on Instagram. Like, I'm kind of on there for, for my work. And it's so kind of overwhelming, the sort of echo chamber of, like, the, the, the liberal takes that are constantly being spewed out. And so, yeah, your, your posts are always incredibly refreshing, like, both politically and also they're hilarious. So thank you uh, for spicing up my feed. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about like your political orientation and um, sort of how you frame yourself politically? Yeah, so I guess because I guess ultimately for me, I find titles a bit reductive at this point. But I guess just in terms of um, my overall like origins, origins in terms of getting like politically involved doubt all the way back to just being involved in the black church as a kid so being involved with that stuff it kind of like early on had me introduced to a lot of like more radical leaning political rights thinkers whether it be like mlk or even people further left of him like uh malcolm x and various different people that work with like uh political apartheid south africa and then a little bit later on stuff like the black panther movements or whatever so that kind of like political uh, foundation it was where I start and then I guess once I got a little bit older into my teenage years started getting interested in like punk music and mm -hmm. whatnot started getting introduced to like anarchist circles so because we're like online 24 7 I would say that 
a major influence in terms of like how I approach politics comes from a lot of people who would identify as like crypto anarchists, um, just people who like lean more into how the internet works and how like different like freedoms of speech or like censorship and surveillance culture and things of that matter works. And so when I kind of like was getting more upward mobile and specifically within dance music, I would kind of meet up with these different like anarchist collectives in New York City, um, specifically uh, Mask Magazine. Um, a lot of these people with that magazine, they're involved with like helping create apps to kind of dodge like surveillance culture. So I guess in general, in terms of like title or whatever, I would say like socialists or socialists with like anarchists leaning. So gener generally speaking, when I kind of approach things politically, I always kind of take like a more classical anarchist stance. So because of that, it tends to come into contention with forms of just like identitarianism and all mm -hmm. that. <laughs> we could go into it further. So I would say like anarchist socialist leanings. And, but I mean, in general, I, it's leftist, you know, because I guess when you get to a certain point, like titles, it just become reductive. You get all these camps of people because, I mean, I'm always reading different theories or whatever and, you know, taking tidbits and stuff mm -hmm. and to kind of like analyze the world in general. Yeah, honestly, like we're so on the same page. We often like use the term like pragmatic pan-socialism, like because we're not like sectarians who want to like be really married to like any particular thinker. We're just like socialists with strong anarchist leanings as well. So. Yeah, and it's like, you know, when, when the left barely fucking exists, like... Yeah, <laughs> splitting hairs exactly. over that. Who's got time to fucking argue about, uh, you know, the Cuba question or whatever the yeah. fuck it is. It's yeah. like, you know, people fucking canceling each other. Like, these, like, little Marxist-Leninist groups canceling each other over uh, over these kind of, like, esoteric uh, theoretical questions. It's, like, such a joke, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, speaking of cancellation, uh, we wanted to ask you what your, what your experiences with cancel culture have been, um, if you want to get into that a little bit. Yeah, wow. Um, I mean, off the bat, it's it's so insidious because um, I guess for me, my kind of like first interactions with the cancel culture was in kind of like more smaller anarchist circles when people tend to like write like zines and stuff. And like people would be putting stuff in zines saying, hey, you shouldn't interact with this person on the basis of this or whatever. So my first experience was just kind of like running to it when it was in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. So it's been interesting to kind of like see different aspects. I would even go as far as saying that like um, some aspects of just like classical Western anarchist culture, when people would kind of like print out stuff and be like, Hey, don't hang out with this person. Cause they're so-and-so or whatever. It would be kind of like the first forms of it. And then seeing it kind of get just like slowly adopted into social media via popular culture i'm just like wow I, I remember first starting to see it come on to social media with like tumblr you know you mm -hmm. would see like threads of people arguing and then it seeped into twitter and then next thing i know you have the me too movement which is i mean for the most part very serious and should exist but like you can kind of see it just connecting to a broader culture yeah have you uh have you ever canceled anybody i i don't know i haven't <laughs> to be honestly i haven't because like even when i was in um circles where people were just like 
attacking folks 24 7 i was always a little bit more pragmatic or be like hey can i at least try to like meet you halfway like let's see what exactly is going on because specifically when i would sit in these circles where people were just like hyper fixating on people and attacking them i'll be like you guys like can y'all calm down a little bit like what are we trying because like the first question i will always ask i'm like what are you actually we trying to achieve here like are you just trying to like ruin somebody's life outcast them like are you trying to help them change and potentially like bring them back into stuff like what exactly is going on and then i realized maybe a lot of this stuff it's it's not really about like liberation it's about um it's it's like it's people's obsessive need to kind of keep up appearances mm-hmm. and it's just kind of like narcissism that has legs and it's running so it's more about like maintaining these invisible communities or like uh, the optics of a tribe as opposed to trying to help somebody yeah absolutely. <laughs> it's a conceit it's a conceit that has legs and it's running that's what i like to think of it as Right, right. Like a technique for for gatekeeping uh, a social scene. Yeah, exactly. And especially like being within the music scene and seeing this, I'm just like, okay, I see what's going on. It's kind of like a flavor of the month. And if you're not with that kind of the in tribe, then just kind of get left behind. (laughs) Yeah. Have you like have people tried to cancel you for your uh, your spicy takes and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, all the time. Um. (laughs) God, something happened to me maybe like four or five days ago. So one of the main reasons why I kind of went to Instagram or started using it more is because specifically within techno, I'm starting to just kind of like develop more politically nuanced takes or whatever. And so instead of kind of um, outwardly attacking everybody, I was starting to question the actual structures or scene I was in. So mm-hmm. I, it was getting to a certain point where I was just like, okay, for about a year or two, I noticed that people were like really supporting me and like booking me on the basis of my identity. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's cool inclusion or whatever. But I'm like, there needs to be like something more. So there's just like something in me. I'm just like, okay, are people actually putting me in their social circles on the basis of just like, what I actually bring to the table as an artist or is it just to kind of like keep up appearances Mm -hmm. and I noticed when I started kind of like critiquing that stuff in like a very good faith way I was just kind of like alienating people and I was like ah I see what's going on it's it's becoming a kind of like these notions of um diversity or inclusion or looking good is becoming like more of a brand and as opposed to actually like materially tangibly helping people and in some ways, I kind of see that as a way of maybe people trying to create like a new social class or reinforcing a class interest. Because when you kind of like take these concepts and strip them away from reality, you it's like you're like building this entire, maybe it's a form of idealism, but it's just like you're creating this entire world that's like completely removed from maybe just the, the regular working person. It's just like to the point of alienating them. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely relatable. Um, so you get some, you get some shit for that, for talking about that. Yeah. I can, I can imagine. Um, so I noticed, um, you know, um, Africa Brooke recently put out this uh, really cool like letter called like exiting the cult of wokeness. 
um, I, I saw you commenting on it and you, you said you'd left the cult like a few years ago. Um, yeah. And so like what sort of what has that experience been like for you in terms of like leaving wokeness and being like a critic of wokeness, especially considering that you're kind of like within woke scenes and critiquing from inside of it? Oh, wow. Um, in some ways, it kind of feels like dead weight being released. But I guess the the downside of kind of like that ease of feeling like I don't have to kind of like constantly capitulate to people's just unrealistic expectations is yeah. I always it makes me feel like I'm kind of like I have to kind of like look over my shoulder 24 <laughs> 7 and like make sure I have my tracks covered because I mean I've had interactions where in some ways I, I say that I kind of like resigned from techno in the sense of like resigning from the, the like the general um consensus but still kind of like practicing within my own lane and i think now because i kind of just like left a lane it kind of makes me more vulnerable to attacks or critic because i realize when you kind of um I, i've realized this with many other people like when you kind of get just tired of something and be like okay i want to kind of like progressively change who i am um people specifically within like woke scenes they always need a scapegoat so mm -hmm. every month, so I noticed like when I kind of just did my own thing, people, they, they can't find the scapegoat to kind of like blame stuff on. And over the course of maybe a couple of months, I realized every once in a while people would try to like pull me back or like hint me and be like, hey, oh, Aloysio is the reason why this is happening. And I'm just like, uh, no, I'm like, I haven't even interacted with you people in like months. I really <laughs> realized like people, they... I guess one of the downsides of like this kind of like hyper fixation within world culture of like looking like you're good is that you constantly mm -hmm. have to like build this boogeyman yeah. instead of because I think it, what it is is this very like individualistic culture when you think only from a form of individualism it's easier to kind of like look at a person as the source of all problems instead of like analyzing these kind of like complex systems of domination of like why people act like this yeah it, it's 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 i call it a shortcut to anti-racism pretty much when you kind of make these scapegoats of the month yeah absolutely um that's super real yeah seriously um yeah, all right uh well <laughs> we wanted to ask you about your humor because like woke instagram is really fucking like pious and sanctimonious and like so like takes themselves so fucking seriously you know and they can't handle humor right like they, they don't even know what to do with it um and and, you're, you're and, hilarious and you're you're fucking funny and you're constantly like just clowning all these people um and we're wondering if you get a lot of pushback about the fact that you're like just like joking all the time about these folks yeah my, that's that that was like one of the initial things that maybe cause a lot of alienation because i'm just feel like my whole praxis is just like yo we all fighting for equality that means everybody equally can like catch this smoke like everybody can equally hope for tease i'm like isn't that like the whole point yeah and i feel like because specifically within woke culture people think within these binaries of just like black and white they're unable to see like irony or like mm -hmm. humor, or like see the absurdity <laughs> of how weird things get so i guess for me when i'm like 
making fun and stuff. I'm just trying to like hold the mirror to people to kind of see like how certain aspects of cultures have become like so absurd. I'm just like, like y'all realize you have the pedal pushed down like all the way, and if you just sit back and think for a moment, you you can't help but laugh at like how <laughs> like rigid people get. Yeah, it's honestly so refreshing, like having you on my feed because it's like, yeah, Instagram can just be like such an intense place with people doing this like performative politics and like taking themselves so, so seriously. And like, you're just like out here, like telling people like, yeah, that we like need socialism so they can get therapists and stuff. And it's, it's fucking, it's fucking funny. And it's like really, really refreshing. I appreciate it a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it reminds me of uh, just the use of satire um, in in these sort of like really repressive regimes in other like parts of the world or other periods in history and how it's been um, treated as like extremely threatening to the status quo, like satire and parody, you know? Um, because when people are taking themselves so fucking seriously to just like poke fun at them and like pop their fucking little balloon, um, is like, <laughs> it's like incredibly threatening, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That's, that's my whole approach is just like, going against the grain or just being like a contrarian or like swimming upstream that's very much like me like i, I with, with everything I, i've always like absolutely refused to be kind of like defined by peers or whatever like i just like i'm always looking for escape or the exit as i say like where's the fire exit you know yeah yeah you posted this like thing of like some someone like scolding you or calling you out for something on your stories and then in the next one it was just like a video of you laughing <laughs> yeah because <laughs> i like it was like the, my favorite fucking thing i've ever seen man it's, it's so ice cold too it's like really fucking funny so yeah i really appreciate that um okay so yeah we wanted to actually like talk to you a bit about like some of the um some of the posts that you're making in um your your cultural criticism account and like just sort of get you to talk about some of the like political stances that you've made because even though you're being like hilarious you're also making like some pretty um important political critiques um so we just wanted to like unpack a couple of those um the first one is one that I was talking to you about over DM, which is just like this whole thing that's going on right now where this like new brand of anti-racism that is so embedded in identitarianism is like weirdly um, producing a kind of racial essentialism that is like bleeding into like eugenics discourse. Um, yeah. And you've you've made a bunch of posts about that that I thought were like really uh, well articulated. So I wanted to to ask you if you wanted to talk about that. Yeah, so um, I guess the trend, I, I noticed this because I noticed this kind of like years ago. So I think it was kind of easy for me to clock on because a lot of my kind of political um, leanings or just like basis of how I got into stuff is like very kind of like hardcore uh, black nationalists. And I, while nationalism to an extent is important, like you can't just kind of have politics that exist on identity alone. Because if if you do, then it's just like, okay, what direction are we looking in? Like, are we actually trying to like move forward, or we're kind of like spending um, so much time looking in? And I think that the reason why this sort of like um, racial, I guess specifically like racialized essentialism is getting um, popular right now is because um, I guess 
we're in this kind of like late stage, um, this kind of like late stage neoliberalism, and that kind of so neoliberalism it promised us that hey we can get like a more ethical form of capitalism by having like inclusion or doing these more progressive things, and I think specifically with like millennials over time they realizing that hey maybe this is not as they advertise it to be. So there's this kind of like dreadful alienation that's mm-hmm. caused by it. So as a reaction to that, um, people, they kind of like cultivate a history that they don't even have in order to kind of find a sense of community. And in some ways, when you kind of like do this kind of just surface level racialization, you create like these um, communities that just kind of like hyper fixate on these kind of um, outside signifiers alone instead of deciding to analyze system and i think i mean it's i mean that's kind of like fine to an extent but the problem is specifically with like racial essentialism or like racialization is that um i guess i'm trying to think of what is what did i think of um i think it's largely an emotional one um and it appeals to people, it, it appeals like so powerfully to people who are super, when you're super angry and you lack like a very like theoretical grasp of how the world works, um, it appeals to people's kind of like powerlessness or insecurities. So what they do is they kind of like project their angers through these kind of like surface level signifiers instead of kind of like looking past these constructs and trying to figure out like what causes these so in some ways when you kind of or when when i kind of like pose these questions of what exactly is the the social construct of race like does this make sense it it makes people kind of like flinch or glitch because Mm -hmm. like specifically in within an american context you know we're we're a country by the most part literally like built on these boxes Mm -hmm. of racism so when you ask people to just merely think outside of that it it, it's it's really uncomfortable and I mean and I think what even makes people even more uncomfortable for me kind of like posing that question is that coming from a black person because we're in this kind of like heated moment right now where you know we're really strong within our identities but when you kind of like ask your own people who are oppressed like what exactly is this racial construct like should we be engaging or holding on to these kind of like things so hard that were imposed on us by some old white dude from god knows where Mm -hmm. (laughs) it makes people kind of like (laughs) they they start flinching they they don't it's like whoa it's like this is a scary thing to bring up yeah totally yeah and i mean you've you've handled that discussion really well and also been like kind of hilarious about it um in in some of your posts but it's it's kind of like shocking how some of these um some of these things that are like claiming to put forward like anti-racism are really like obsessed with like i don't know like racial signifiers and the ways that people look and are like really trying to like define race in these like uh really uh biological ways that you would think anti-racism is trying to move away from so um i appreciate that I can kind of um, elaborate more on that. Um, I always just, I just kind of like randomly jot this stuff down. So I always say that like, um, specifically, I always kind of like reference Fanon when people go super hard on that. Because it's just like, people, they will acknowledge that race is socially constructed. But then through these kind of like, I call it like, um, 
this Robin D'Angelo sort of thought or that kind of like racialized essentialism. Okay, like we'll, we'll acknowledge that race is socially constructed, but then these same people, they will like turn around and double down on like biomarkers, like phenotypes, yeah. Yeah. colorism to decide who it isn't, a colonizer. And I'm like, this is a very american centric way of thinking because basically what it is you're flattening the world into this binary and it's like a very manichian um view of the world and so like fanon he basically said that colonialism seeks to impose an amichian structure of contraries instead of a dialectical a lot dialectical one um, which is an ongoing human negotiation of contradiction. So the former segregate groups and the latter emerges from interaction. And I think when you kind of like double down on this racial essentialism, it creates like this very kind of like militant isolationist groups to the point where it's just like, if you're not of that tribe, it's just like, we don't want to do anything. And, and I'm like having isolationist groups to, get specific goals done is important to an extent but it's just like i guess for me personally at a certain point like my politics is you're going to have to kind of like work with different people and just figure mm -hmm. out what's going on instead of just like looking in so much because it just it seems like really myopic and short-sighted if you don't yeah for sure there's there's all these uh impulses towards segregationism that have been popping up too in this in this way mm -hmm. that's just like a way i think any reasonable person would find them to be way beyond what is like useful or, or necessary for organizing or anything like that you know and people hate it when i say this but i i did mass my master's research on uh on white supremacists like organized white supremacists and here in quebec and uh what like as a result, I became very familiar with the kinds of rhetoric that they use, mm -hmm. right? Um, and started finding that a lot of the like woke identitarian leftist rhetoric was starting <laughs> to like to like echo literal white supremacists yeah. in ways where sometimes I couldn't tell who had written it, you know? And it was yeah, funny, exactly. it's fucking disturbing, man. Like like yeah. for real. You know, you see it's these like these articles on like like medium or BuzzFeed or whatever, and it's sort of like uh, you know, like can white women ever really be friends with black women or something like that? And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, yes, they can. Like, what the fuck kind of a question is that? You know? Yeah. 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 Um, it, it's funny. That's kind of like one of my main sticks is kind of like identifying how like you can see the convergence of what people say on the left um, about different groups or whatever it comes. It's literally sounds like white supremacists specifically. Um, something that kind of like really gets me into a lot of heat is showing like a lot of the similar patterns of how like woke people talk about like black males autonomy and i'm like well the way like these words y'all use to describe black men i'm like you literally sound like a white supremacist posting on like uh brett bart or like stormfront or something i'm like and i feel like a lot of these theories i always say it's just it's pretty much just kind of um, white supremacist rhetoric in a black face. Um, you see a lot of it with like a lot of more um, liberal leaning people with like blue check marks or whatever. Yeah. It's because they have like this very kind of, um, I call it like BuzzFeed era form of feminism where it's just like women can do no wrong, all men are bad, and it doesn't kind of like look past that. So because of it, when you paint, when you find like incidents where a particular group 
messes up and does something bad, they take that incident and like paint the entirety of reality with it to the point where like it's it gets to the point where you're just kind of like doubling down on like generalizing men of color or whatever mm-hmm. and saying yeah. the same thing that like white Nazis would say. It's it's super Weird. We want to we want to get into that actually. One of our other questions was about that, so I'm just going to skip to it now. Like you have uh, some stuff you've written on Instagram that's like about how a lot of the the specific experiences and challenges faced by black men, like specifically by black men, are sort of appropriated and used by liberals um, uh, without actually including black men themselves. Um, so it's like you know even like a lot of the the rhetoric around BLM. Um, was like talking about the experiences of like young guys like in the hood who are getting like gunned down by cops or whatever, but are being taken up by these sort of like university like queer women or whatever, like people who like are not sort of in that actual milieu that that they're that they're talking about, you know, and also getting taken up by like um, random white liberals as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you wrote, uh, "Black men have become meat shields for other people's ideologies. There isn't a movement without the bodies of dead black men." And yet, when it becomes convenient to do so, black men are continually classed, uh, cast aside intra-racially and by the world at large uh, via popular theories. So I don't know. We were wondering if you wanted to unpack that a little bit more, too. I mean, you, I guess you were just talking about it, but it seems like a, a an important and, and deep topic, you know? Yeah, I think that um, that, that emerges from... It, it kind of... There's, there's a, a, a professor that I follow. He actually created... Um, a thing called black male studies. His name is Dr. Tommy Curry. And what he actually does is um, he helps kind of like open the academy so people can kind of like study black males and kind of attach it onto a more nuanced black feminist lens. And I think one of the reasons why I guess this whole sort of um, this kind of like casting aside emerged from it's it's from this kind of like this hyper individual culture and it's people like misinterpreting um, identity politics. So what what's what's happening is like I guess most people who've kind of like read like the Combahee River Collective, mm-hmm. I think something that people are missing is that like specifically in their theory, they they made a, like a really specific notion that with these politics you have to attach them to um, criticizing things like capitalism and whatnot in different groups. So because of that, people, they misinterpret identity politics and they take like this kind of like individual identities and want to attach it to being a part of capitalism. So when you get that, you just get like this kind of like hyper individualistic um, culture that it kind of uses just black men or even other black people, but I guess specifically like black men as these kind of like, I call it just like tokens to kind of further in that their theories and <clears throat> I guess when you when you kind of like want to market yourselves I often see that a lot of people's um, critiques it's it just kind of like dials back to this really weird basic form of like white feminism it's mm-hmm. like it's like people are trying to mix two diametrically opposed things with each other that it doesn't work out and it comes from like this neoliberal um trying to find like a scapegoat of the month as opposed to criticizing those systems because like when you see stuff with like um instagram infographic culture like there are people who built entire careers of just kind of like telling 
white people they are racist or whatever but and i'm just like okay where does criticisms of like class or anti-capitalism come into play because if you don't have these kind of spe specific intentional um class critiques you just kind of like you get people running around just saying that they're the most oppressed on the basis of just like their identity when they very much could be like very wealthy it's like people people like hell bent are trying to like strip a class analysis away from like racial signifiers mm -hmm. and that are like other signifiers that people are oppressed in it, it's it's really weird it's just like hyper individualistic thing that goes on yeah like people put in their like instagram bios or whatever like you know, five or six like identity categories or whatever to like kind of prove how marginalized they are. And that in this context gives them like some kind of legitimacy and some kind of um, authority to like tell mm -hmm. other people what to do or like people have to listen to them. Mm -hmm. um, while meanwhile, like kind of just overtly appropriating um, like the struggles and like violence that other people experience who may not be listing five identities in their Instagram bios or may not even be on Instagram and yeah. you know, are just kind of being talked over, but like being turned into like a symbol for um, the, the Instagram graphic of the week or whatever. Yeah. It's, I think, I guess that's the kind of like the natural evolution of um, these more academic theories that necessarily don't connect to um just regular people so um it's like this you i guess the major attendant that i see is like that kind of like there there are, there are like major ethical um limits to standpoint epistemology mm -hmm. so like basically this is what had happened was like like it went from like oppressed persons lived experience um has to be it like basically okay oppressed people's lived experience offer like very great insight to how the world works to that if you don't share that standpoint then you have like no right to speak or like no right to talk and i'm just like how did how did we get to this far where like if you don't have a certain standpoint then you're like immediately supposed to just shut up and just take it even if it's abuse i'm like no i'm like the whole point is to have like this dialectics when we're interacting back and forth on good faith not just like shutting down a discussion on the basis of whatever identity signifier i have yeah that that never that never ever made sense to me like even from the jump when i was in like some activist circles like people were just shutting people down immediately because of that i'm just like no like you gotta let people be able to talk and i think that's why from a leftist standpoint leftists should be like fighting for like freedoms of speech mm -hmm. because the problem with that if you don't it just circles back around to censoring us and like traditionally we did but i don't know what happened yeah yeah that that kind of like another another piece of that which brings me to another one of your posts that we wanted to ask you about is just like this idea that like if we're like privileging standpoint or whatever which they say that they are um it's like there's like an assumption that like having the same positionality means that you're going to come up with the same politics or the same meaning based on that positionality and obviously that's not true like people come up with different meanings and like have different politics even if they share the same or a similar positionality and so what happens is is you get like these like woke spokesperson people who like speak on behalf of identity groups and like actively suppress the 
the dissent and like the various disagreements within those groups. So um, one of the posts that you made was, um, you're all like, listen to marginalized voices, but what you really mean is only listen to marginalized voices that agree with me and say the same things that I do. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to know if you wanted to say more about that. Yeah, so it's like, it, it went from just like people having like very productive discussions to people kind of like seeking out this confirmation bias. Huh. And I, that's that's kind of like one of the shortcomings of like this, these misinterpretations of identity politics or like standpoint epistemology when you just use these like very like service level racial signifiers or whatever it's just like people think just because somebody shares the same identity as them that it they automatically means they're the moral arbiter of truth and justice and like that alone presents major issues because i mean for the most part this i like community is not necessarily about People need to stop thinking that community is just about these like outside signifiers. Rather, it's more about this community of where people kind of have like shared ideals and goals. And oftentimes when you have these kind of like shared ideals and goals, it often transcends these really rigid identitarian um, categories. And I think that's where kind of like my more anarchist analysis mm -hmm. comes through. I guess maybe it, that might be like more idealist, but it's kind of like transcending these these like very like rigid colonial boxes that people fight to hell to kind of just stay in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, yeah. I mean, like when when everybody was talking about like whatever amplifying like melanated voices or whatever this summer, and that was like the big thing that everyone was getting really intense about. It's like. It's crazy to me because I was just like, which ones, man? Like, yeah, you know? that could be like who it, it could literally be a black conservative. You know, yeah. like, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, literally, there's a lot of people who fall under that category. So I'm like really wondering what and specifically they mean, like amplify like um, neoliberal identitarian voices. Like, that's basically what what they were asking people to do, because if you were to like, you know, uh, are you talking about like Hindu fascists or are you talking about like uh, jihadis? Exactly. Are yeah. you talking about like uh, yeah. the, the homeless guy in the corner? Are you talking about like a Chinese doctor? Like who are you talking about? Yeah, you know? exactly. And um, then, you know, when you when you do post um, and amplify the voices of like socialists who you agree with, people are like, not those ones. Yeah, you know? yeah <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and you know, pretending that like these these huge identity groups are, are ideologically monolithic is another thing that drives me fucking crazy. I think was it Adolf Reed who pointed out that uh, yeah, uh, there's uh, there's more Black Americans than there are Canadians. Like That's it, Cedric, it, Johnson. Total. Cedric Johnson. Cedric Johnson. Yeah, Johnson. yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just like the people people talking about it as if there's some sort of like a unified like Black political experience or something is like fucking crazy because it's just like like you know they're, yeah. yeah they're, it's very it's very like ahistorical and revisionist because I mean there's always been like huge ideological splits and camps specifically within like black politics and I feel like when when a lot of like liberals refuse to acknowledge that it kind of like circles back around into like systemic racism because you're viewing people as this kind of like homogenous group yeah mm -hmm. it, it's, it's so bad for sure like even these concepts that we use all the time, like the concept of like respectability politics, uh, came 
came from like black political struggle within the black community, right? Uh, you know, between people who wanted to be more sort of like uh, assimilating into like polite middle class white society and people who were like, fuck that, right? Um, yeah, it drives me fucking crazy. Um, the next thing we wanted to ask you about was, uh, oh yeah, this is a great quote that you had. Uh, class reductionism is the new liberal insult buzzword to make sure that poor white people don't find any common ground with poor people of color. Uh, you want to you wanna expand on that at all? Yeah, I'm just like, I, I see people like been using the term more now as a way of kind of like shutting down, I guess, like black leftists who tend to not necessarily like lean heavily into class politics, but want to combine a class analysis so that way they can kind of like build more well-leaning um, political movements. I, I've seen it like come about with Bernie's second term with a lot of like black political pundits who agree with Bernie on policies like, hey, we need to like add more of um, just like economic pro programs besides targeting things like race or whatever because it's just like okay you can focus on racism and race all day but like how do we get that connect to actual like material programs that could help disenfranchise people's poor people within these these neighborhoods and i think people they tend to use class reductionism as an insult when mm. people when you point out that hey okay a lot of like poor black people people of color within these neighborhoods they actually have overlapping struggles the truth is i mean because i mean during the day i'm a social worker so i'm seeing like there's like this kind of like overlapping class struggle even with like lower class white americans who suffer during this the kind of like drug epidemic whether it be like methamphetamine um heroin and stuff and i'm like a lot of these kind of liberal theories unfortunately they fail to explain why is that like a big chunk of white americans who are like poor and working class they, they kind of like get ignored within these theories or lose agency because like people they they dwindle everything down to this white privilege and it's like okay yeah white privilege exists but what is that privilege in relation to class you know and and because of that i figured out that maybe those kind of like that chunk or portion of disenfranchised americans they become reactionary because they realize maybe like the democratic party or people who consider themselves progressive actually kind of like look down on them and kind of like alienate them so it forces them to embrace people like donald trump who yeah appeal to their class interests, which is valid, but when the, he appeals to their class interests by embracing reactionary racism, so it's yeah. just like, dang, there's like a gap of people that that a lot of like black leftists want to kind of work with or recognize. And I feel like when people use that as an insult, they're kind of like actively going ahistorical or revisionist because then you're not, you're you're not even acknowledging stuff like what the black panther party did with their like yeah. class analysis or whatever and i'm just like did y'all actually even read what these people are saying or is it just like y'all just want to kind of like use to use this to reinforce whatever upper class interests you have totally it's like stripping it of its content and turning it totally into like an aesthetic and like a symbol and like not actually listening to like what yeah, like what the Black Panthers were saying, um, which had a lot to do with like building solidarity and building like mass power for a movement, you know, like, um, whereas now, yeah, like, 
you know, trying to build like cross-racial solidarity against capitalism is like weirdly frowned upon. Um, yeah, I can actually explain why. Um, so I guess for me, first and foremost, I think that solidarity should be the basis of um, of like leftist politics, not allyship. Because like, to yeah. me, yeah, what is allyship? Sure. Yeah, allyship is just something a person can announce. It's just like an aesthetic thing, like a bumper sticker, whereas solidarity, you're actually kind of like, working across these um, internationalist lines or identitarian Mm -hmm. lines to kind of figure out, okay, like, what is a common goal we can try to, like, fight to figure out these systems? And I think the reason why solidarity movements is kind of frowned upon, it it goes back to this kind of this rise of, like, um, racialized essentialism. Um, You get, like, academic theories like Mm Afro-pessimism, which, for the most part, it does a pretty good job explaining maybe why anti-black racism exists or how it functions but the conclusions that it makes is like just very kind of like hyper individualistic and it flattens the world into black versus non-black so it's just like everybody versus black people and i'm like that doesn't make sense because it kind of like fails to explain people throughout history who have always kind of resisted the status quo and be like hey we could like fight this or figure out what's going on to try to make things better so when people kind of like adopt this kind of like fatalistic essentialist mm-hmm. view, it, it robs people of agency and they make they make like these sweeping generalizations about like different communities in the world. And it I guess when you kind of like <clears throat> dial back everything to that binary, it just goes back to this very like Western American centric way of thinking. Um I was listening to someone talk about this the other day he was basically saying that like the way americans view the world is that of a zebra like everything is in black or white Mm. and i was like wow that's pretty deep and when you kind of like impose these kind of like this binary or this western binary onto the rest of the world it doesn't actually work out like say for example when you try to like impose that binary on like a place like north africa or the levantine or just middle east it doesn't make sense because like you're in a place where like continents meet and like mm-hmm. these kind of like racial colonial construct doesn't it doesn't even like it literally just makes your brain glitch when you're trying to like project that onto the rest of the world. So I think what needs to happen is we need to like really actively challenge these American notions of anti-racism, whatever, and still keep like pushing towards a more like internationalist approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Strongly and, agree. Yeah, and like foc- like focusing on solidarity and and not allowing people to use this like class reductionist slur, I think is so fucking important. I'm I'm gonna have like a snobby Canadian moment here for a second and say that like I cannot understand why any political activist in the United States is doing anything other than trying to get fucking healthcare. You know, like you guys yeah, don't have fucking exactly. healthcare, man. It's crazy. You know, it's it's barbaric and fucked up. And like. Um, and, and, and to have a social program that would be federally funded, a single payer social program that would give everyone fucking healthcare without them having to pay whatever the fuck a copay is or a premium or these words that I don't even understand, um, would help everyone so fucking much, you know, and that would be a a class based, uh, program. I mean, it would be universal, but, but the point is that rich people can pay for healthcare, but like poor people can't, you know? Um, so it would be a class-based program and, and it would, it would disproportionately benefit obviously like all kinds of different marginalized people, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's mind-boggling to me, you know. Yeah, and the whole like ally thing, it's such a it's such a it puts people in such weird relationship to each other. Like yeah. it's not a relationship of equals. It's like this super weird um 
like kind of condescending and kind of like it's just like an alienating. Yeah, it's very patch. It's very patronizing. Yeah, it's very. Like, it it's, it's fucking waspy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it robs people of agency because, like, I guess that's what also made me kind of start questioning these things that was happening in techno. And I'm just like, my relationship to these people is not that of equal, but rather I'm like under them, and if it makes me feel like I'm a baby, just like begging them for scraps you know <laughs> yeah it's fucking weird man it's such a weird way to relate to people and like yeah like i i think solidarity has become like a weird weirdly like a bad word now and I, it's it's a depressing place for the left to be because i'm like ultimately like we need to be seeing our struggles as like tied up together and we need to be seeing each other like as you know comrades who are like working together towards our, our common goals yeah in, in some ways i think the reason why modern anti-racism it's like it becomes so confusing that it almost becomes impossible to do anything. I think that's intentional. Like when you look at the history of just like um, just like the U.S. government, like going to war with different liberation movements and mm -hmm. like how like uh, you get like all of this revisionist, like counterintelligence and stuff. I think it's by not to get like all conspiracy theory, but I think it's no coincidence that stuff is like this. And when you kind of get like this in this constant injection of like post-structuralism, yeah. it just, it makes everything confuses. Cause when you, you weigh specific programs, say for example, in like the sixties or seventies that various liberation movements had, like they had like very hard material goals. Yeah. Whereas like now you look at a movement, it's just like, okay, what exactly are you guys trying to achieve? Like I can't even like figure out, what's going on where you like people like the black panther party they have like a checklist yeah. of these yeah. actual goals and yeah it, it's it's so weird it's very like spiritual and like ontological like i don't even know what's going on yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah totally it's become everything has become so aesthetic and like symbolic um and even yeah like with the afro pessimism um that is like kind of underlying a lot of the current um discourse around anti-racism without people even knowing without that. people knowing that that's sort of the theoretical framing of it it's like it's it's like right in the name it's it's pessimistic in the sense that like it doesn't actually lead us anywhere it's sort of like this like nihilistic end point where it's just like this is kind of how things are and they suck you know and yeah, it's, it's like the view from nowhere and it flattens it flattens the world like i'm not interested in theories that flatten the world because i'm like the world is way more complex than yeah what people present it as totally and i want i want like theories and movements that actually have goals like you were saying like that have concrete goals that we can like materially measure and see that we're moving towards success that like more people have healthcare, more people have housing like more people you know have their needs met like that's like you know yeah i don't know why you would want any other goals <laughs> yeah, like the <laughs> like, politics of like representation or just like having like i don't know like Amazon say something while not letting people unionize. It's like yeah, it's like woke capitalism. Exactly. Like, right. Like, right. During last summer, during the uprising, it's it's a it's basically a shortcut to anti-racism when you can just kind of like plaster something saying, "Hey, we support black businesses." Okay, but and it's just like this is just very like symbolic thing. It it absolves people from actually having to join the struggle. Exactly. <laughs> Totally. Um, so, um, That's you. okay. So yeah, I guess, yeah, we've covered like a lot of your like, um, excellent, um, political thinking, which honestly is such a refreshing injection into the Instagram bullshit. So thank you for that. Um, we kind of wanted to just end on more of a funny one that, uh, 
that you posted that honestly has made me laugh so many times, which is just um, that we need uh, we need socialism so that y'all can get some damn therapists. Um, <laughs> you want to comment on that at all? Yeah, I, I made that because I was just like, like some of the messages I get in my inbox, I'm like, damn, I'm like, it, it, there's there's this. I get, I guess it comes from just this parasocial relationship. Yes. Yeah. Have with you, so they feel like they can just like unlock and unleash everything on you. And like, I will read my inbox, and I'm like, uh, I'm like, I don't know how to. I'm like, maybe you just need to go to a therapist or something. <laughs> like, I'm only one dude. I can't like. I'm like, we need to get Bernie back or something. So, like, <laughs> yeah, a, a healthcare program to get therapy. <laughs> Some. <laughs> I mean, like it's it's fucking funny, but it's fucking real too at the same time. It makes sense though, because like that, it goes back to that alienation. Like under these different platforms, people feel like they can connect to you emotionally yeah. on, on that level, and so because of that, they forget. Like, hey, we have people have boundaries. You can't just like tell people this. It's kind of scary. Some of the stuff people tell, I'm like, whoa, like this is too much maybe because i don't know people always tell me i look like a nice guy or, or something so yeah. no i totally relate like I, I the same thing happens to me like i have a really big following on instagram like i literally had a girl give like create a series of, of voice recordings where she told me like in detail about a threesome that she had and was like asking for like my advice about like her jealousy towards her boyfriend and i was like yo like i actually don't know you so this is like wildly inappropriate and like probably something that you should talk to your therapist about. Um, I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes when people do send me stuff like that, I'll be like, I'll answer if you donate to like the Venmo. <laughs> if you want to do therapy, like you have to pay me. Like just donate a couple bucks, and then I can give you some advice. <laughs> but yeah. the thing about it is, it's like often it's like I, my whole thing is like, what's the point of me giving the advice? Because you're not gonna listen to it anyway. You're just gonna like go back and do the same thing, get with your ex or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> So fucking real. Um, real. All right, we had, we had a couple of, like finisher questions for you. Uh, are you reading anything good right now, uh, or what are some uh, like leftist thinkers that don't get a lot of play in woke world that you wish the wokes would uh, would read up on or anything like that? I mean, I'm a I'm a big. It's it's no secret. I'm a big Adolf Reed uh, fan. Uh, when I kind of like discovered his critiques on this the 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 rising of um just like neoliberal appropriating everything i was like wow this guy is really on point um i mean outside of that people should i, I think people really need to really start pushing harder on just kind of like reading uh, more like internationalist things obviously stuff with like the, the kurdish people um their theoretics um, i recommend even reading like book chin yeah fuck yeah. Uh, i'm also really into a lot of uh british theorists who kind of I think because maybe they kind of culturally different, they tend to challenge these, these kind of like um, conceptions of race. People like Paul Gilroy, um, Stuart Hall. I really like a lot oh, yeah. of like British theories. And um, <clears throat> another thinker I'm really into um, is Aisha Akambi. Oh yeah, she's yep. from London. Yeah, she has really really nuanced, interesting takes about just like culture in general she has a book coming out actually that she just announced and i think it's called oh like God. it's called like the awakening or something um i think it's actually called the awakening 
Um, but wow. it's definitely going to be a critique of all of this uh, identitarian stuff. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, we're going to try to get her on the pod. Yeah, maybe one day. We'll, yeah. We'll yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can give a shout out because she's um, we've been following each other on Twitter for like a few months and I started chatting. I was just like, oh, OK, so I'm, I'm a big <laughs> fan of her. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yo, if you could fucking hook us up, that would be so sick. Yeah. Let her know we're interested. Um, cool. So yeah uh is there uh how can people support you your work the best or like do you want to shout out your uh, music stuff or anything like that anything you want us to put in the show notes or uh, any, anything you yeah share? i mean just people can hit me on my instagram page uh hit me on soundcloud listen to my mixes i'm always just dropping stuff on like international radio stations um i mean other than that just hit me on the ground hit me on twitter listen to the soundcloud engage with whatever you want uh hit me on venmo paypal <laughs> potentially I'm, i'll probably be shifting into like patreon or something like yeah. that and I'm, and I'm designing like merchandise like t-shirts and underwear and lighters and stuff like that so you'll see some some interesting projects are coming up soon honestly if you put some of your hilarious instagram things on a shirt like those would sell so well <laughs> like, yeah yeah seriously <laughs> I want to make a shirt with your fucking uh, socialism for therapy uh, take. Yeah, seriously. Okay, I'll I'll add that to the queue. Yeah, (laughs) honestly, it's hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'll buy that off you, man. Um, All right. Well, thank you so, so much for for coming on the pod. Um, And thank you for the work that you do. It's honestly so refreshing. It's so needed. And like, I really know that you probably get a lot of shit for it. Um, But like, you're out here like making me laugh and making me feel like way less crazy as I'm scrolling Instagram. So... Thank you. Yeah, I know a lot of people Thank are having the, having the same experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, we really appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Thanks. Good, thanks. J'ai entendu du que je suis un OG. J'étais comme, damn, what the fuck? Cause I still feel like a newbie. Rapper de 28 ans, out of luck. Trop de ESL rappers, fallait que je keep it real. C'est beau l'anglais, mais that's not really how I live, huh? Je twist les langues comme un French kiss. Molière et Shakespeare dans mon set list. Je build mes phrases comme à Tetris. Une ligne est rouge, un bloc est bleu. Tant qu'on me demande pas de choisir entre les deux, je demande.